and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. This is a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Cassie. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a rising high school senior. I'm really passionate about social justice, especially uplifting youth voice, dismantling systems of oppression, and protecting reproductive rights. And I am a youth facilitator with a program called Diversity Talks. And hello, I'm Maya. I'm 17. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a senior. And I am also a youth facilitator at Diversity Talks. And I also work with Gen Z We Want to Live, which is an organization that promotes development of culture in our society that we have today. Fantastic. So I'm so excited for both of you to be on the show. Uh, A little later in the show, we're going to talk about anti-racism and social justice resources, which is something that I've wanted to do on the show for a long time. So I'm very excited that you could both join us. Uh, Before we get into our usual format, do either or both of you want to talk a little bit about Diversity Talks and what you guys do as an organization? So we basically work with our teachers. So we can teach them how to be more culturally relevant when they're teaching us because a lot of teachers are white and most of their students are not white. And also there are a lot of other um, different ways to divide culture. So like age, race, all of that, there's a lot of differences and that can create a lot of like power imbalance. So we are here to make these teachers aware of how they can better help their students. Beyond teachers, you guys also do kind of like workshops and uh, about these topics for, I know you've done it for libraries and librarians before, because I went to one and it was fantastic. It really opened my eyes, really made me think. Um, But I think you guys also do it for just uh, businesses that are looking to become more culturally competent. Yes, completely. So if you want to have a cultural competency, social justice as training at your place of employment, look out for Diversity Talks and look them up. We will have information about them in the show notes. Um, So uh, let's just, I know we have a lot we want to cover today, so let's just jump right into it with what have you guys been reading recently? So I finished Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, which I personally think that is like one of the greatest books written. It teaches about um, apartheid in South Africa, which is the segregation system that South Africa used. And reading it made me feel so much more aware of just how like trends spread around the world. Because apartheid is actually based on um, American segregation. And reading it just made me think about how cultures and identities like have this feeling of like suppression in where they live because these white communities were living in these like amazing houses and they were living in like great areas but then when you looked at the black Africans and they were the majority they were living in poverty and that's just how it worked and things were okay it's accepted and that was in the 90s that was not not far back and it's just crazy to think about it because it's like we America think that we are the greatest society to exist but then there are other countries who 
copy our ways of segregation. Yeah, it's really something to learn that we've been like selling, exporting racism around the world. It's I didn't realize that apartheid was something that they established because of things that we were doing in the mm -hmm. U.S. I thought they were things that were happening like around the same time. I know that yeah. apartheid went to the 90s, which we desegregated things a little bit earlier than that. Um, but yeah, so that's really interesting. And that has been on my to-read list for a long time. So I hope to get to it soon because it mm -hmm. seemed like a good one. Uh, what about you, Cassie? What have you been reading? A book I am about to read and I'm really excited to start is White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. Um, this book focuses on the term white fragility, which is when a person in power is confronted about their actions that are racist in some way, and they become super, super oversensitive and defensive. And she just talks about where these ideologies come from and why being called racist is has become a defamation of character and how America's fundamental ideologies have shaped this. And I'm really excited to read it. Yeah, I've been on the hold list for that for a while. So I'm hoping to get to that one soon as well. Um, See, so the only I've talked to it on the show before, but maybe it's appropriate to mention it again in this episode since it's focused on it. But um, the kind of first book I read in this journey towards reading books about anti-racism and broadening my horizons and my ideas about race was Stamped um, by Jason Reynolds, but it's a YA version of a book originally written by Ibram X. Kendi. So he wrote the adult version and then Jason Reynolds, who is very widely known YA author decided to kind of he called they call it a, that he remixed it but basically kind of like wrote a version for younger audiences and it talks all about kind of like the history of the history of racism but also the history of anti-racist thought in America yeah. and it was super interesting because I just felt like there was all this stuff about American history that I didn't know that I learned from reading this book that I was like I had no idea that this was happening. It talked about some, you know, historical figures that we know, like Thomas Jefferson, and gave kind of new perspectives on figures that we already know, but then also talked about all these other abolitionists and anti-racist thinkers from like the beginning, from when slavery was still happening in America and all the way up until present time. So it was super interesting and I would recommend it to anyone who's trying to start reading more and learning more about this subject. There's also another book that I want to start reading. It's called So You Want to Talk About Race by Ihioma Oluo. And each chapter title is a question about race in the United States. So the book is written for white people and people of color. And because of this, it's like when a white person reads it, they're going to think a little differently. The Black person, they might think a little differently. Because I noticed that when you bring up a topic about race, there's so many different opinions that you can get on it. And it's really hard to talk about them. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that those conversations don't have to happen. They need to happen. Which is one of the main reasons I wanted to have a podcast episode be about yeah. this because I wanted to maybe start 
give people the resources to start conversations like this and just to to start a conversation ourselves that hopefully our listeners will go on and and take into their own lives so that book is perfect for it yeah that's that's another I mean like all of the ones that we've talked about are ones that have kind of been circulating since everything really started to get very I don't want to say started to get tense, but got tense again in our country. The the tension elevated another level Mm -hmm. in our country. Um, So all of the books that we've talked about are ones that I've been seeing a lot as great places to start to educate yourselves. But yeah, so on maybe a little bit lighter note, what have you guys been watching recently to entertain yourselves? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been watching Orange is the New Black. Well, to be fair, I've been watching it for a couple years, but I just, I cannot stop rewatching the show. It is very, it's a very heavy show because you're watching a bunch of women in prison and how they navigate life in there. And it, it brings up a lot of topics that you have to think about. You have to think about women's rights. Are these women being treated fairly in the prison? You're thinking overall human rights. Are they getting enough food? Are they tracking down? The, are the CO officers tracking their nutrition, making sure that they get access to doctors, which usually they are not? And then you see a lot of colored pe- colored prisoners being um, having harsher punishments, long like just they're in prison for a long time, and you notice that a lot of the prisons of color leave the prison and then come back. And that happens a lot. It turns into a cycle. And so after I watched this show, it made me do my own research. I started watching YouTube videos on it. And once you see the actual facts and statistics and data about how this prison cycle works of leaving prison and coming back into prison, it's, it makes you think about why this cycle is happening. And this connects to racism and how it just drags people down yeah I said this on the someone pre in a previous episode mentioned or is this the new black and I said that I've only watched a little bit of it but it does raise a lot of questions about you know of the the prison system and makes you really think about if the goal is re- rehabilitation if the goal is rehabilitation like are we doing that the way that we currently mm. um currently incarcerate people yeah so yeah it was a really uh, it was a really revolutionary show at the time and I think it still is in terms of talking about and telling stories of people that don't usually get told so what about you Cassie recently I have been watching Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra and these are both Nickelodeon cartoons that are aimed at kids, but surprisingly tackle a lot of really relevant and interesting topics. And that's why I've loved them so much. Even though they're kid shows, they're, I can connect to them really completely and fully. So the shows going on Netflix, was this the first time that you watched them? I watched them when I was a kid. These were some of the shows that I watched like Saturday morning television. But when they came on Netflix, I was like, this is a major nostalgia trip for me. 
I need mm. to go down this lane. I need to rewatch this <laughs> and relive my childhood. Because the first time I watched Avatar The Last Airbender, I was an adult. So, or I was like, I think maybe like the end of high school. So I, like I was probably around your age. And the movie was about to come out. And I was like, oh, well, I should watch the show before the movie comes out. So then I watched the show and loved the show. Um, and then the movie came out and the movie was awful and we don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> so that's fine. Um, but yeah, I keep telling people that it's like, it's such, for a kid show, it's such a deep show. And I think there's so much there for audiences of all ages. And um, I read or heard some quote from someone who like a celebrity that really liked the show that was like if everyone watched the show we wouldn't have wars anymore because everyone would just be like so much more compassionate for other people and and where they're coming from and I think that's absolutely true because I think that at its core Avatar Last Airbender approaches all of even war and tough subjects with like compassion for fellow human beings yeah that's so important especially now Yes. So if you take nothing from this episode, go watch Avatar Last Airbender and learn life lessons from kid show. <laughs> so is there anything else that either of you want to talk about in terms of like media related stuff that you've been enjoying? Honestly, I've just been in a YouTube loop. Like you, you click one video and then you find another one. And I've just been learning about so many different things. It's like my brain's expanding with so much knowledge. See, it's interesting to hear that you use YouTube as a way to like research things and learn about things because I mean, yeah. I guess there are some, there definitely are some people that I follow on YouTube that have like an educational bent to their channels because I find learning about things entertaining. But I think like for the, at the forefront, me and I think a lot of other people think about YouTube as like this entertainment put you know platform it's where you watch funny videos on the internet and stuff so I th I think it's just interesting that you keep coming back to learning so much from watching it which yeah. I think is fantastic but I think it maybe is like reframing YouTube for a lot of people who think of it as purely like just where people post dumb videos on the internet yeah definitely I feel like you can find literally anything and I can go from one educational topic to a video about cats. And I think that's like the beauty of the internet. <laughs> yeah. for sure. And I think the thing with YouTube and the platform, at least for people who create like consistently create content on YouTube. So not people who just use it to upload a video of their cat doing something is that it gives you such a unique perspective on things like people who do vlogs and or do other type of things that are autobiographical they're about their life um it really gives them you as a viewer an opportunity to see things from different perspectives of different people who live in different parts of the world or even just the country or you know have a different background than you and just live a completely different experience from you I know from YouTube and watching um, different YouTubers I've learned way more about um, the disabled community and disability that I never would have known about unless someone who like lived this experience was like yes this is what happens to us mm -hmm. Do you have any like channel or uh, mm. video that you found like particularly interesting that you'd like to share? 
I can't say anything too specific. I I do love food channels as well. Those have been my favorite. Um, there's this one channel called Emmy Made in Japan. So she actually lives in Rhode Island, which is, I think, so cool because she's one of my favorite YouTubers. And she tries, quote unquote, weird foods. And she tries delicacies from like all different countries and so uh, what's special about her is that she will find something that a lot of people call gross and she'll try it and she finds the good in it and it's like she's never tried anything bad because she's just so optimistic about it maybe or maybe it just tastes really good but I think it if you were to watch those videos I feel like you would start to accept other cultures more because I feel like Americans have this problem where we see something different and we think ew that's so gross or that's so weird but when you see someone trying everything and making everything like an equal playing field it it just makes you question like maybe we should think about other people and other cultures instead of just ourselves maybe we're not just the norm yeah, for sure. So Cassie, is there anything else media related you want to share before we move on? I fall down that YouTube hole too, but I tend to use YouTube for entertainment a lot. I watch a lot of gaming videos, especially The Sims. I love Lil Simsy. She's one of my favorites. I think YouTube's a really nice place for people to find something happy and that makes them happy no matter what it is. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about gaming videos. I, I I will admit it that I'm bad at video games, but I like the idea of certain games, especially super story-driven games, like super narrative games. So there are games that I would say like I'm a fan of because I thought that the story was really interesting, but I never played. I just watched people play it on YouTube, which I think is a whole new kind of way to consume video games now that there's a whole generation of people who'd be like oh yeah that game's great and then they'd be like did you play it and it's like no but I watched someone play it you know I watched whoever um I'm not gonna throw out someone and make myself sound dated and old um (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah I think it's it's like an interesting new thing that even like video game makers have to think about that people are consuming their content like in a new way secondhand yeah It'll just be interesting to see how that affects things going down the road. It makes it accessible to everyone. Even if they can't afford the game themselves, they can still enjoy it. Yeah, that's true for sure. And then you know what what's worth actually putting your money into of like, oh yeah, I think I would enjoy the gameplay of this and actually playing it. And what's like, oh, I'm glad I didn't spend $50 on that because it was just, you know, okay. Yeah. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Rhode Island Radio Online is the latest offering from Rhode Island Public Libraries. Rhodey Radio is a weekly podcast that brings you voices from your neighbors around the state. Enjoy lectures, stories, and conversations with local artists, performers, experts, and scholars selected for you by Rhode Island librarians. You can find Rhodey Radio at rhodeyradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're listening to Rhodey Radio, you know you're listening to something good. 
The library is launching a new collection, School Tools. Soon you'll be able to check out tools, toys, games, and interesting objects for learning and play from Central Library, including a microscope, toy cast register, robots, and more. The tools are meant to support parents who are teaching at home and encourage kids to pursue their passions. If you have suggestions or feedback for this new collection, email emily at emilybrown at cranstonlibrary.org. So I want to make sure that we have enough time to get to everything we want to talk about related to the theme of our show. Um, so first off, maybe this is taking it a step back since the reading recommendations were already kind of like anti-racism focused. But I think to start off our conversation about it, talk a little bit about like what it what anti-racism is and what that means because I think it's a really kind of like it's become like this buzzword that everyone's hearing about like anti-racism but maybe some people don't understand exactly what that means yeah so when we talk about racism we have especially in America we have to think of racism as a systemic issue which means that there are systems such as the education system or the justice system and these systems were put in place to benefit certain groups of people, specifically white people, when we're talking about race. And so when it comes to anti-racism versus non-racism, anti-racism is making the active choice to fight back and to dismantle these systems. When you see someone making a comment that's racist, you call that out. And that's what anti-racism is, instead of being non-racist, which is just being complacent and seeing it, but not saying anything about it. I do want to make it clear that if you are not actively standing up against racism, you need to do better. You need to do better because this, the system of racism affects so many people and it has come to the point where it is destroying our society as we have it right now. And it has been going on for way too long. And it's just calling out the little things, just like Cassie says, if you hear someone saying something that you don't think sounds right, you need to do that. You need to do your job and tell them why that's wrong. You need to educate other people. You need to educate yourself so that you can educate other people. So going on this idea of educating yourself. What are some places that people can go to start kind of their journey? We, Like I said, we gave some good book recommendations on the top of the show, but to continue with that and keep going, um, what are, where are some places that you think are great for people who are like, yes, I want to do better. I want to get educated. I just don't know how to do it. I think having conversations, especially having conversations with people of color, because people of color experience racism and we know what it's like to be racially profiled to be rejected from a job because of our name and when you have these conversations with us we we're actually really happy to tell you because we're happy that finally someone's listening and because you're listening you can take that and fix these problems because actually white people are the only people who have the power to fix racism yes definitely even if these conversations can be really hard because they're not 
I would say they're not socially acceptable sometimes to have these conversations with our peers or with our coworkers. But having these conversations really is the first step to making change. And luckily, we have the entire internet at our hands as a resource. There are plenty, plenty of articles on the internet and people of color YouTubers and films that are free and accessible. And these are a great way to get educated. So you can start to have these conversations in, 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 in an informed manner. Yeah, I think that because technology is so developed, information spreads so fast. So more and more people are learning about racism and how we can stop it. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. So having hard conversations, that's a good first step. Um, is there anything else that you would suggest people do to start to, you know, on their journey towards being anti-racist? There is something we have at Diversity Talks called PERM, which stands for Power, Empathy, Relationships, and Mindset. And one of these big words is empathy. And the key to having these conversations is empathy 1000%. Being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and listen to their stories, but take them in deeply and understand that your life is different from theirs. And even if it doesn't seem possible for them to have faced oppression in the way that they did. They have. And when we listen to people's stories, empathy truly is the key. Yeah, because I have been working with Diversity Talks, I, I feel like I've all, overall become such a better person. I have become so much more empathetic about other cultures, other people. People need to think about others more because if everyone had empathy for each other, our society would be like it would just work I can't put the words into a sentence but it would just be a utopia in my brain I think that if we all had empathy for each other racism would be gone and homophobia would be gone transphobia would be gone everyone can just live and I think that's where it starts yeah I've had conversations with people before that I I don't know a way that we could do it, but I feel like when people become real, when people in a group become real for people, like become individuals that also have thoughts and feelings and opinions and maybe like the same things that you like and agree with you about certain things, like I think that helps people who and had closed-minded, for lack of a better word, like opinions. Um so it's like, if we could just connect people with other people who aren't like them and make those people in that group no longer just become this faceless group of people who you only know, you know, stereotypes or whatever you've heard on TV or the news or from other people about that group. And you just, and now you generally know like someone's name and things about them and they're a human to you I think it just does wonders for sure I think just like having love for everybody like it's easy to care about someone who you've spoken to for a while and you love them and you care for them and I think taking that basic like respect that you have for that person you have to remember that you can respect everyone even if they're not close to you or you don't even have the desire to start some sort of relationship with them 
you can still have respect and empathy for that person. You just have to remember that that person has a life. They have friends and family too, and they have feelings and wants and needs and thoughts. Yeah. And it's human nature to to generalize and put things in groups because it's just easier for yeah. our brain to understand um, when things are organized in groups. And um, so, yeah, I think to push against that initial that initial instinct to generalize and to actually try to connect on an individual level with people or just come at things with respect and empathy, like you said, I think is a reframing that we all have to do. So did you guys have any more places to point people to in terms of educating of themselves on these issues? I can say a little bit more about what Diversity Talks has to offer because Diversity Talks itself is a really good resource. We offer professional developments that can be used in schools as well as workplaces, like you said, a library. Um, And they offer many different workshops and they focus on systemic oppression, cultural competency, communication, power and privilege. And Diversity Talks can be a great stepping stone for introducing these topics into everybody's minds who need to hear them. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I I went to a workshop that was run by two youth facilitators who were, I'm unfortunately, it was like over a year ago. So I don't remember who they were and they probably aren't part of the organization anymore because it seems like high schoolers are the main, so they probably already moved on. But but they were wonderful. They were super eloquent and well-spoken and I was surprised how confident they were in front of, we were a big breakout group of like 30 of us all sitting in a circle, 30 adult librarians. <laughs> I was surprised they didn't seem intimidated at all. Um, I remember the most nem- memorable part is we came in and they gave us name tags and we had to write on the name tags from a group on the board Um, or like different groups, like different categories on the board. A lot of them were racial categories, but then LBGTQIA plus was on there. Um, And so they were like, pick whatever one you fit into and you want to, you know, represent you. And so I really only had the choice between white and LBGTQIA plus. So I picked, I was like, I can pick the one that makes me privileged or the one that makes me diverse. Mm. Um, And so I picked LBGT. Um, but I remember that I was like, I don't know if that's the point. Maybe I should have picked white. And then, you know, we have conversations about that privilege, but, um, but it was really interesting. And I remember like looking around the room to seeing what everyone wrote down. And there were a lot of people who were straight white people. So the only thing they could write down was white and, um, our conversations about that. And yeah, it was really interesting and a really memorable professional development, uh, session that I went to so it was great well I do have to say that the box struggle that was I remember I had to do something like that and I was the opposite where I had too many things that I could think that I could put my myself into because I am a mixed race person but there was no box that said mixed race and it reminded me of taking the good old like PSAT I would I would look for, um, which box I should put and it's other it's not something that I identify as because it's like I'm a person I am more than just other yeah I don't know I think forms are getting better at that where you can choose like as many racial identities as applied 
to you. Um, so I hope that more forms go in that direction where it's like pick all that apply. I agree with the whole thing that Maya said. I really do feel the box struggle. I'm a white passing Korean American a person, Korean American person. And it really is a struggle. And it's a struggle for a lot of people to have to struggle with their identities and realize that they're more than their identities, but our identities do shape us. And they are really, really important in how we go through life. Yeah. I've had conversations with people before who come at things with uh, a bit of a kind of like, I don't see color. We're all the same kind of mm. perspective. And I always just try to convey to them that an ignoring of difference is an ignoring of all the good things about what makes us different. So, um, and then I think people are like, oh, wow, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that. Mm. That erasing difference is not the goal. Embracing difference yeah. is the goal. Exactly. So before we finish up, I have our final segment of the show, which we call The Last Chapter, where we address an age-old library or book-related question, and we don't try to come up with a definitive answer about it. We just talk about what our opinions are about it, because the show isn't about putting definitive opinions out on the internet. We're just, you know, we're part of the diverse opinions that are out there. Um, but so this week, the question I have for you as two bona fide Gen Z people and uh, young people, you know, get the reputation of watching the movie instead of reading the book, but is the, the book versus the movie, which I know is hard to do such broadly because each franchise is different, but just as your general rule, what do you prefer and why? I like movies. I'm just a movie watcher. I like getting all comfy, putting on some nice pajamas with a pint of ice cream, putting on my laptop and going on Netflix. <laughs> this is how I roll. I do read books from time to time, but honestly, I just don't have the, what's the word? I don't have the attention span. And I, sometimes I will have the urge to read a book, but that's usually not the case. But a movie, I'm always in the mood for a movie. I think that's so interesting because I will say that I am the exact opposite. I am a complete book person. I don't have the attention span for movies. If I'm just watching something and I can't fully immerse myself in it, it in it in my head and in like my space in my mind, I zone out completely. So I would say that I prefer books most of the time solely because I can lose myself in them more than I can a movie. That's interesting because I feel like when I'm watching a movie, I can just sit and. It's like my brain makes a connection to it. I, I, I guess I have the attention span. I just don't have that, like, urge to read a book. I don't know if it's because it tires my eyes or what, but I don't know. My brain just doesn't like it. I think it's interesting, Cassie, that it seems like you find the book more immersive despite it not really having, like, the visuals that movies have which I do too, as, as a book reader, that you find that super immersive. But I also enjoy watching movies and I can find movie watching being super immersive. Uh, but lately I run into where 
I don't have the time to read the book. So sometimes I'm all like, well, I don't have the time to read to my to read list is already so long. I don't think I'm ever going to I'm going to get to the book before the movie comes out. So then sometimes I just end up watching the movie mm-hmm. like Hidden Figures is a good example. I watched the Hidden Figures movie and that was the first time I had learned anything about these three women and the amazing work that they did so that we could go into space and um, and I loved the movie. It was great. And I thought it was really well done. And I don't think I'm going to get to the book right now. So I'm just going to watch the movie. Does anyone else just watch a movie while they're doing other activities? So I sew and I draw and I just do things that like little activities where I need like background sound. And if I'm not listening to music, I'll put a movie on. And I don't know if anyone else does that, but I think it's weird how my I really like to multitask. I know some people some people complain about having to do so many things at once, but for some reason that's just how I function. I have to do, be doing like eight different things at once. And one of those is a movie. <laughs> I feel that. I do that too. I don't do it with movies, but I'll do it either with like TV or YouTube, especially if it's a show that I've already watched and it's like a comfort watch for me. I'll have it on in the background or a lot of times podcast because I'm a big fan of podcasts which is why partially why we made this show so just to have something on in the background while I'm doing something around Mm -hmm. the house but yeah I could see if it was a movie that you've already seen I don't know if if I've never seen the movie before if I could do other things while watching the movie Mm -hmm. but if it was a movie I already saw and really liked I could see that it would be like good background noise all right well thank you both for joining us on the show um Reminders to our listeners that if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes to please go and rate and review the show where you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show. Um, if you'd like to submit a age-old book slash library related question for the last chapter, you can do so at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. That's our email. Um, We'd be happy to read your suggestions and possibly put them on the show. And once again, thank you both for joining me. And thank you everyone for listening. And that has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a production of the Cranston Public Library. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. To find out everything your library can do for you, visit our website at cranstonlibrary.org. Downtime with Cranston Public Library is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you find your podcasts. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join us next week for more Downtime. Downtime.